How many of you are thankful for the word of the Lord? Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Thank God for the direction in your life this morning as he leads you through the circumstances you're facing. He's a God who is unchanging. His love is everlasting. His mercies endure forever. His faithfulness is steadfast. Put your hands together and give him praise. We love you, Lord. We give you praise in this place. Hallelujah. You may be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. If this is your first time at Victory, we welcome you. My name is Michael, the lead pastor here at Victory Church. It's an honor to be with you today. We're in a new series this morning. Um, The series is called Change, and I'm going to take time to do this this one more Sunday and then won't mention it again. But the uh, graphic that Aaron did a great job actually depicts the confluence there, the, the, the river where you see a delta. Uh, which is speaking of, obviously, the Mississippi Delta, where we are. The triangle is the Greek uh, letter delta, alpha, beta, gamma, delta. Delta in chemistry means change, okay? If you remember your 11th grade or 12th grade, whenever you had it, if you had chemistry, chemistry class, you're talking about the variation over time. And so a lot of meaning there that unless it's explained, you might not pick up on it. But we're talking about God's ability to change the delta, to advance the kingdom of God. We um, have seen vast blessing in terms of the the deposit of all the sediment, the, the rich soil that has literally been deposited coming down the river has settled here. And it's a great resource for agricultural crops. Along with that, I believe that there has been part of the sediment kind of in our thinking. There's some things that have settled in that have put us in kind of a fog that is sort of the vestige of a plantation mentality. The poverty, the ignorance, the mediocrity, the apathy, the racism that is a part of this particular region sitting right here under the buckle of the Bible Belt in the south. Uh, We still battle that stuff. And so as a church that is set here for the purpose of engaging people with the life-giving message of Jesus, it's called the gospel. That's the good news that he's the king right now. And so we, we want to be able to not only speak to those things, but we want to be able to model the answer. We want to be able to show people that in this congregation that we have diversity, that it's racially diverse, that it is politically diverse, that it is... Uh, ethnically and socioeconomically and all of those different kinds of things that the diversity that makes up the delta, that we can be a living representative of the kingdom of God. Uh, that, that's what it's all about. It's about reaching across and reconciling and building a community with people that maybe for some other, you know, what various reasons maybe you might not be friends with or hang out with. We want to help be able to pull that down and help build the community of the people of God called the kingdom of God in this region. We want to see change come to the delta. And we can't just say what we need to do. We have to be that change. Somebody say amen. So put your hands together. Come on, let's, let's give the Lord praise this morning. The title of the message today is called The Constancy of Change. The Constancy of Change. Last week, uh, we talked about understanding the seasons of your life. The one thing that that I gave you that I wanted you to take away from it was the awareness that understanding time is less about managing the hours in the day and much more 
about recognizing the seasons in your life. What is the season that you're in right now? Are you in, are you a newlywed? Are you uh, building a relationship in hopes of a family in the future? Are you in the middle of, you got a whole crop, you've got them in every age, and you, you're in that middle position there of getting them trained up and maybe uh, looking maybe to see some of them actually be released into the world or maybe go away to school here in the next few years. Maybe you're an empty nester. Maybe you're on the other end of that spectrum and they're out of the house now and they're headed to standing on their own two feet, uh, maybe still connected by a little bit of a financial umbilical cord once in a while and uh, looking for the day when they're fully self-supportive and on their own. Maybe you're in the later years of life and enjoying your grandbabies. What is your season? Not just in terms of the chronos. We talked about the chronology or the linear advancing of time, seconds that become minutes, that become hours and days and weeks and months and years and so on. But we really talked last week about the importance in the middle of this chronos world that is bound by the sweep of the second hand and the position of the hour hand, the appointments that you have to follow through and do, the deadlines that must be made, the pressure that comes because of all of that. God has called us to live a kairos life in a chronos world. And we talked about a kairos moment, which is an opportunity that God opens a window in a moment into an individual's life, an opportunity that comes your way that was the, uh, the old quote says that the opportunity of a lifetime must be seized in the lifetime of the opportunity. There's a window that's open and you have to, in that moment, uh, just take courage and get up your faith. You know, it doesn't happen every day that you're in a storm and Jesus comes walking to you. And Peter says, Lord, if that's you, bid me come to you. And Jesus says, it is, come on. And in that moment, it's a window. This doesn't happen every day. Here's Jesus, there's a storm, there's a boat, we're being tossed all over the place. Jesus says, come on, Peter, get out on the water and walk. And the disciples are trying to drag his carcass back in the boat. And he's going, no, 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 let me go. And so he steps out and he walks on the water because there's an, a moment, a window of opportunity, a kairos. A kairos moment happens in our lives where literally what years have literally robbed from us, God can restore in a moment, in a, in a moment of kairos if we will step into that window of opportunity, if we will walk through that open door of opportunity. Scripture says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, that when we have the opportunity, kairos, we should do good to everyone, especially to those of the household of faith, the people of God. So this morning, we're building on understanding the seasons of your life, and today we're talking about the constancy of change. That seems like it's self-contradictory. It's a paradox, a seeming contradiction, because when something is constant, it's unchanging. But I want you to recognize that change continues around us all the time, that everything is changing, nothing is staying the same. The constancy of change and the series text that we used last week that we will say every week, and you've probably heard this. If you haven't, then be introduced to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. Read it out loud with me, please. Here we go. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Everybody say the same. When something is the same, it is not different. It is unchanging. It is solid. It is steadfast. Jesus Christ is the same. This is particularly pointing to over time. Yesterday, today, forever. Past, present, future. God abides outside of time. He is larger than time and space. When we get to tomorrow, God will already have been there. 
He is already there right now. When we get to next year, when we get to 2019, God's already there right now in 2018. He is abiding over all of that. The psalmist said, my times are in your hand. And so we put our trust in a God who is outside of and bigger than time and space. And that God invades the chronos, the linear progression of our lives, and he opens a window through the supernatural where all of a sudden, in a moment, something can drastically and dramatically change. He will give us a suddenly, the way he did the church on the day of Pentecost. And suddenly, everything dramatically changes. And so I would ask you this morning, if you need a suddenly in your life, remember, be continuing. Do what they did, waiting for that suddenly to come. If you'll take care of the continually, God will bring you the suddenly. That's our review from last week. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This morning we're using a text out of Psalm 102, verses 25 through 28. And this is a prophetic psalm looking forward to the restoration of God's power in Zion. Zion is not only a geographical location in the nation of Israel, in the area in the Middle East, but Zion speaks prophetically of a people. As a matter of fact, in the New Testament, Zion is no longer bound to the concept of a piece of geography, the highest mountain in Israel. But Zion speaks of a people of God that have been called to the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. We're pursuing the high place. God invites us up to the mountain to get a different perspective and be able to look at things the way he sees things, to see things from a high and a lofty place. He is calling us upward, calling us to himself. And so Zion is not just a mountain uh, on the topography of a nation in the Middle East, but now Zion is a people, a people of the high calling of God. And so he says in the middle of this psalm, Long ago you laid the foundation of the earth and made the heavens with your hands. They will perish, say it with me, but what? But you remain forever. They will, say it, wear out like old clothing. You will change them like a garment and discard them. Stop right there. This actual verse is quoted in the opening chapter of the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 1, speaking of the divinity of Jesus Christ. Not only the Son of God, but also God the Son. And so we realize, he says, they will perish, but you remain forever. They will wear out like old clothing. You will change them. This is speaking of the time. The hope that we have in our heart there will be a day where we will be made like him because we shall see him as he is. We will no longer have bodies that decay, but we will put on in this corruptible, we'll put on incorruption, and this mortal will put on immortality. The Bible says we shall all be, everybody say changed. That's in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the Bible declares. So verse 27, it says, but you are what? Say it, always the same. He is unchanging, he is immutable. His love is everlasting. His mercies endure forever. His faithfulness is steadfast. He is our rock. He is our fortress. Every analogy that the psalmist uses about the unmovability, the protection, the safety, the shelter of God in the time of storm speaks of God's immutability, His unchanging faithfulness. But you're always the same. You will live forever. Last verse. This is the promise to us because of that. The children of your people will live in security. Their children's children will thrive in your presence. 
One thing. Let's grab the one thing this morning. Say this with me, please. Life is in constant flux. The Lord is constantly faithful. My focus produces pain or peace. Stuff is changing you all around you. Something that is in flux means that it is radically shifting and changing. It is uh, transforming. It is being conformed to an image of some kind or another. But there is some very definite change. Life is in constant flux. It is constantly changing. The Lord is constantly faithful. My focus produces pain or peace. One more time, everybody together, let's say it like we mean it. Here we go. Life is in constant flux. The Lord is constantly faithful. My focus produces pain or peace. Pray with me this morning, please, if you would. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity and the blessing, the privilege to stand before your people, to lift up the name of Jesus that is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they're safe. Thank you. Thank you that you save us. You make us safe in your presence. We thrive in your presence. We we, we, we live in a place of security knowing that you're a God who's sovereign, Lord, who holds everything together by the promise and the powerful word that you speak. We ask you today in Jesus' name that you open our hearts and give us hearing ears. Let me speak words, O oh God, that will be planted like seeds in the soil of the soul of your people. I desperately need you more than I ever have before. And I thank you today, Lord, that Through you I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and I ask you to be hearing and understanding ears and the hearts and the minds of your people. We'll be careful to give you praise and all of God's people said, amen. Life is in constant flux. The Lord is constantly faithful. My focus produces pain or peace. What are you looking at? What is your attention? What has your eye? What has you constantly looking and paying attention to? Point number one, everything changes. Literally hundreds of songs have been written in the last couple of hundred years about this very concept that nothing stays the same around us. Read a book, early 90s, it was written in 89 by one of my Bible heroes, Dr. Chuck Swindoll, phenomenal Bible teacher. I used to listen every day on the radio to his show, Insight for Living, and probably have... um, plagiarized so many great illustrations by Swindoll, just trying to become a good preacher. Um, He is a phenomenal one and a hero and a mentor of mine. He wrote a book called Rise and Shine in 89. That's not the title. He wrote it in 89, but the book's called Rise and Shine. That's a little goofy the way I said it. Everybody say, Rise and Shine. This is a quote from the book. He said, Did you know that it was not until 1850 that our world reached the one billion mark? Eighty years later, by 1930, we had reached two billion. It had doubled. It took millennia to get to one billion people alive at the same time on the planet, 1850. So we're talking compromise of 1850. Historically, we're talking about the days that just marched us into the greatest rending of the heart of a nation, and that was our own American Civil War, north against south, brother and cousin against brother and cousin. Eighty years later, we reached two billion people. It took only 30 more years by 1960 for the world's population to grow another billion. It reached three billion. He says, we've now arrived at five billion. Statisticians tell us that by the end of the 20th century, we'll have seen, we will have seven billion. And I checked it. I Googled it last night. October of 2018, we now have 7.7 billion people. 
it is projected that we will be approaching 10 billion by the year 2050. Now think about this, folks. There are more people alive on the planet right now that have ever existed in all of history combined. The cumulative total of all of the living people who have lived on the planet since the dawn of time, add them together, and we have more people alive right now on the planet than has ever lived in all of history. If you can't hear that, (coughs) pardon me, if you can't hear that and recognize that this is a kairos moment for the church, then wake up and hear this this morning. We have an opportunity to, in his words that he wrote in the title of his book, everybody say it, rise and shine. Say it, rise and shine. Until 1800, the top speed was 20 miles an hour as people traveled on horseback. With the arrival of the railroad and the train, almost overnight, we jumped to 100 miles per hour. By 1952, the first passenger jet could travel 500 miles an hour. By 79, the Concorde cruised at more than 1,200 miles an hour. But even back in 61, the astronauts were orbiting the Earth at 16,000 miles per hour. So I want you to see how dramatically things can change in just a matter of a few short years. I have a friend who had an M-series BMW, and we were on the way to Memphis, actually, to a, to a conference to hear a, a, a minister speak, and we were on a back road, and, and I just said, um, I, I've, had, I've had three vehicles in my lifetime that have registered at least 160 on the speedometer, and I've never seen that speed, and he's had a speedometer that showed 200, and I said, you know, um, I'd like to know what 160 feels like. Now, I probably shouldn't tell this for all the policemen that are in the room. <coughs> Uh, the state troopers are the retired brothers in blue. But uh, I said, uh, I, want, I want to see what 160 feels like. And so he showered down on it, and I got sucked back into the seat. And I'm, you know, buckled in and everything. And before I knew it, I looked over, and we were doing 160 miles an hour in this back country straight road. And I said, okay, you can slow down now. I felt it. I just wanted to, wanted to, wanted to experience it. I mean, if, if, if this amazing... German-engineered vehicle has the ability to actually do 200, and all mine have only shown 160. I just want to see what 160 feels like traveling, and I'm looking out the window and seeing everything. It's in a blur, you know. And so it's amazing, and I'm thinking about, I remember a fifth-grade social studies class where they were talking about a little boy who got on a trolley for the very first time, and he described it as, as literally screaming along at eight miles an hour. And we laugh at that, but folks... That would be the commentary of maybe some of your grand, my grandparents, certainly. Maybe your great-grandparents, depending on how young you are. But all of this has happened in just the last hundred years. Do you know that some of your grandparents and your great-grandparents had an icebox? They didn't have a refrigerator. There was a guy with a log wagon who delivered a block of ice every so many days and put it on top or somewhere in that icebox, and that's what kept their food cold. I remember going to my grandparents' house in Marktree, Arkansas at 138 Pecan Street, and by the time I was born, they actually had indoor plumbing, but they still had the shack part that was left of a little outdoor Johnny out back where they would, my my mama said we had to get up where we didn't actually go. I don't want to get too plain with this conversation. They actually had a a pot that they kept in the house and emptied the next day, but in, in the middle of the night, you didn't trek all the way out there. It was far enough away that you wouldn't have the the wafting aroma of what you did in the outhouse. 
Guys, do you realize how amazing things have changed in just a few decades? Have any of you ever taken time to watch those CNN documentaries on the 60s or the 70s or the 80s, the 90s? Maybe I'm just an old geezer. I love history. I know I'm just kind of nerdy. Uh, that by training, that's what I am as a historian, a couple of degrees in history, and I love that. I love asking the question, why? How did we arrive at where we are? What got us here? What set the nation in this direction that we reacted to and, and pushed it over here? And, and just seeing the progress that we've had in the last century uh, in terms of houses that have air conditioning in them. Uh, Abby was fussing about being in a really nice, beautiful, very expensive New York, I'm mean, not New York, but a London flat, and uh, how much money it had cost that her managers had paid for her to go over there and do the recording that she did with Sam Smith. And she said, we're in this amazing, gorgeous, high-rise flat, and it doesn't have any air conditioning. She said, you know what, I'd rather be in a trailer. I'd rather be somewhere with an air conditioner. I don't have to look out in the high. I'm miserable. I can't sleep at night. I don't know what y'all are doing, but I'm going to the Marriott, and I'll pay for it myself. And she did. She got up and went and found a Marriott where they had some air conditioning. Because it's stuff that we get used to, and we, we enjoy because of progress and change and the ability to keep a temperature constant because we don't like it when it gets hot outside and we're sweltering inside our houses. Somebody say amen. He says, uh, talking about all this change and just the, just the increased speed and how fast that the, the nation is traveling. Um, it, was, it was the Duke of Cambridge who said this. This is sort of the other end of the perspective. He said in the 1800s, any change at any time for any reason is to be deplored. How many of you know folks like that who don't want anything to change? They're, they're, they're stuck in a snapshot of time as almost a kind of a idolatrous worship of this particular period that they don't think anything should ever bring change to that particular the way they do life and see the world. And that's unfortunate because life is changing all around us. Everything is changing. I, I look in the mirror and I don't notice it from day to day, but uh, really once in a while, every four or five years, I get a really good look. It's like I'm able to see with some, with, 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 with some penetrating understanding and I look and I go, what is happening to me? I'm I'm, I'm 58. I remember I just turned 50 like two weeks ago. How, where, where did this decade go? And, and my body is changing. And things that used to not be difficult are a little bit more difficult than they used to be. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And, and, and things that I used to could eat and my system not get disagreeable now, it's just I have to make sure what time of day I eat that. Because if I eat it after about 6 o'clock, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrestle with that all night long. It's like that commercial where you see that hot dog beat that guy up. And that's me in the bed with that, that pizza just swatting me all over the place. <laughs> but you know something, if, no matter how much we don't like change, no matter how much we love the status quo, no matter how much we like the comfortability of getting into a place and a flow, uh, I, just recently they, they, they released... Uh, uh, it was iOS 12 for, for iPhone, and, it, it, and it, I, I, I agreed to it, and I updated it, and then as soon as it did, my phone went crazy, doing all kinds of stuff that I didn't know what was going on, and I fussed about it for a few days. As a matter of fact, I even commented on a, on a text with some brothers. I said, there are several things about 12 that I dislike, uh, and, and until I actually took the effort to work with it and see the improvements and how they work, now I'm, I'm fine, and I like it, but I had to stop thinking the way I did when I was operating out of 11, the, the operating system beforehand, because it's changed. 
And life is changing. Everything is changing around us all of the time. Growth means change. I remember December 31st, two years ago. What was it? 2016. When I got my little Odie, my little Bernadoodle puppy, he was like a little 12-pound potato. And he would, he would lay on my chest. And now he's an under 108 pounds and he still thinks he can lay on my chest. Big old boy. Just, just this affectionate, big, loving, beautiful dog. But he's changed. Nothing stays the same. Your beautiful little children, when they're born into your lives and, and, and wreak havoc in your home, and then they make a mess and they have to be changed. You have to change their diaper because you want to bring some order. You want to restore the kingdom of God. You want to bring order to that chaos that all of a sudden has showed up in that diaper. Mamas, don't think what you do is not important. You're advancing the kingdom of God when you change that dirty diaper. You've just brought order to that baby's chaos and you've changed his or her world. Somebody say amen. amen. Growth means change. A month rolls into six months, rolls into a year. They're in preschool. Next thing you know, they're crossing the stage in kindergarten. Blink twit twice and they're crossing the stage in high school. And the next thing you know, they're he headed to college and they've graduated and they, they want to do a master's degree. And mom, will you fund it? Dad, will you pay for it? Things change. Prices go up. Inflation hits. It, the, the stock market just up and down and up and down and up. And, and if I'm looking at all of that change, if I'm looking at life that is in constant flux, it will produce anxiety and worry and fear and doubt and fret. But if I will look at him who is constantly faithful, the Prince of Peace will show up in my life and he will bring peace into my life. Come on, somebody, put your hands together and give him praise. If I'm going to grow, it means I have to change. It was amazing to me how just a few years ago folk would say, I love our little church, we, we need to grow. And then when 40 more people showed up, folk got jealous because somebody might take their position. And guess what? If we grow, it means we got to change. If we leave this building and walk into that new one, things are going to be different. The way we've always done things will actually change. Oh my goodness, help us, Lord in heaven. Are you serious, Pastor? We're not going to keep doing things exactly the same way? We're not doing stuff the way we did it three years ago. Are you kidding me? Stuff changes. The way we do what we do is always up for grab. There is some things that are unchanging. The gospel stays the same because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There is this thing, the second law of thermodynamics, which is a great argument against Darwinism or biological evolution, basically says that when anything is alive and it's left to itself, it tends toward disorder. It moves toward decay. Don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. Your grass doesn't cut itself. You've got to get out there and manicure it. The leaves will fall from the trees, and if you leave them lying there, guess what will happen? They'll lay right there. Or if you get out there with a rake and you clean up your yard and you manicure it and you make it look good and you take pride in it, then something has to change. You have to, do, you have to do some work. You have to make some effort. It's like the old farmer who had had a farm in his family for several generations and he didn't have any children. His wife and he were unable to have babies and he had taken great pride in, in, in having an immaculate, manicured, beautiful, attractive farm and, and yard and house and it was always freshly painted, taking great care. 
he didn't have any children, so he had money that would usually be spent on children. And so he just kept the whole thing in pristine shape and condition. And he didn't have anybody to pass it to. The real estate agent showed up, and he's very impressed with the beauty of these, the acreage, the crops that he grows, the, the lawn at his home, the rose garden for his wife, the vegetables in the back, the, the beauty of the home. And he said, wow, farmer, this is amazing what God has done with this property. And the farmer said, yeah, you ought to have seen it when he had it by himself. How many of you know God gives you the, the resources and the tools, but you got to do something with them? you got to get up and till the ground. You've got to take dominion in the garden. You've got to weed the bed. Some of you might not really relate to what I'm talking about. You've got to weed this garden up here. You've got all kinds of weeds that tend to want to grow up here, and you've got to pull those weeds out. You've got to move the old rocky ignorance out of the way and be open to the things of God where he wants to show you a principle of the kingdom that can change your life. Come on, somebody put your hands together and give the Lord praise. In the middle of all of this decay and this entropy, in the middle of everything that, that, that tends toward disorder, God is immutable. He is unchanging. He is steadfast. He is immovable. He is a rock. He is the strong tower. He is our fortress. He is our shield. All of those analogies give me a picture of the constancy of God, of His unchanging nature, His love that is everlasting, His mercies that endure forever, His faithfulness that is steadfast as the mountains. Hallelujah. Life is in constant flux. The Lord is constantly faithful. My focus produces pain or peace. So, in, in, in a life that everything around me, in this chronos, in this time marches on, in the sweep of the second hand, in the demand of deadlines and time and pressure and anxiety and all of this stuff, how do I find and focus on peace? Not by looking at all the stuff that is walking and marching by me in a parade of change, but by looking at the one who is immovable, the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Prince of Peace brings to me peace. I can accept the change. Or I can reject the change. Either way, there's going to be a fight. There will be some effort. There will be a cost. If I accept it, then that means I have to change my view or my outlook. If I reject it, then that means there's going to be a great amount of energy to be able to maintain what, the way I'm currently living right now. Martin Van Buren, the governor of New York, shared an actual historically verified letter that had been written to President Jackson dated January the 3rd, uh, 31st, 1829. This was when the railroads were first introduced in the United States and some folks feared that they would be the downfall of the nation. He says, as you may know, Mr. President, the railroad carriages are pulled at the enormous speed of 15 miles per hour and by engines which, in addition to endangering life and limb of passengers, roar and snort their way through the countryside, setting fire to crops, scaring the livestock, and frightening women and children. The Almighty certainly never intended that people should travel at such breakneck speed. That's funny, isn't it? Fifteen, woo, man, brr, 15 miles an hour. We're screaming through the countryside. Now, what I see in this just so smacks of what I see happening today. When folk want to weaponize Scripture and their Christianity and say what the Almighty never intended for us to do. In the face of trying to fight clear progress. 
of what has been able to bless the nation that has connected the coasts together so that we can deliver goods and services and produce and crops and food and feed people in distant outposts who otherwise might not have been able to be reached until the last nail was driven. I couldn't think of the word that I'm looking for when they, when they laid that last line of track, the railroad track, and it connected the coast to the coast. The issue is, is that so much of the time we want to take religion and defend where we are in the, in the interest of not allowing change to come. And it was the clerk of the Abington Presbytery outside of Philadelphia over 100 years ago who said it this way. He said, Lord, help us to be right, for you know how hard it is to change. Somebody say amen. Dr. Howard Hendricks is a mentor of mine. I've read his books over the years. He was a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. I've heard him speak in person a number of times. He's mentored some of the great pastoral leaders of our nation. Uh, Andy Stanley was one of uh, Dr. Hendricks' students, and my first introduction to uh, Dr. Hendricks was the very first catalyst that they held in Atlanta at North Point Community Church. They were at the church and not at the big arena where they have it every year. And Howard Hendricks spoke, and he spoke about five kinds of attitudes about change, and I don't have time to go into depth with this, but he says that there are five different kinds of people when it comes to any kind of change and dealing with it in your life. Number one, there are the early innovators. Out of the 100% of people that are in your circle and you're trying to lead into change, there are 2.6% of them. Out of 100 people, 2.6 will run with new ideas. They're excited about it because they're motivated by something that is new and fresh. But then group number two are the early adapters. This is 13, 4.4% of people that are influenced by the innovators, but they're not initiators. They won't stick their foot out of the boat and throw their leg over the boat to start walking on the water. they got to see Peter do it first. They'll follow if they actually see somebody do it. They're early adopters. And then number three, there's the slow majority, 34%. These are the herd followers. Once they see everybody else start to do it, the early, uh, the early initiators and then the, the, the adopters come along. And once they see them, then these folk will follow behind. And then you've got group number four, the, the reluctant majority, majority, another 34% of the people who, who are a little bit more resistant. They're going to wait and kind of see and test the waters and see what everybody's doing and go, yeah, I don't know, we'll see. And so they finally do give in. And then the group number five are called the antagonistic. They're 16% that will never change. Ain't going to do it. I've had this flip phone for 40 years. It's fine. I'm not going to get rid of it. Now, don't get offended if you have a flip phone. Just enjoy your flip phone. That's fine. It's just an example that came across my mind. So please... Don't email me this week. I love you. I love your flip phone. Amen. <laughs> Hendricks says this. He says, the majority of ministers are being nibbled at by the last group, by the antagonists that will never change and will always fight every kind of change. They focus on the minority problem. This group is basically carnal. You expect antagonism from them. Now, let me just say this right now. I'm not thinking about anybody in this church. It's obvious that there are no antagonists here because you're doing church in a mall. You're open to change. You wouldn't be here this morning if there wasn't something inside of you that the regular religious system does not provide. And you're willing to come down to a mall. What does it say in the book of Hebrews? 
You're willing to go outside of the regular religious camp in order to see what God is doing down here at this thing called Victory Church. And I, I applaud you for that. Praise God. You're here. You're at least hungry. You're checking things out. Doesn't mean we're better than anybody else. Just saying, I'm not, I'm not in the hunt for anybody in this room. I'm telling you that every one of your circles, there's some antagonists that will always tell you it's not possible. They'll try to stop you from throwing your leg over the side of the boat and obeying the word of the Lord that is calling you to step out in faith and do the impossible because they don't want to change. And when they see you change, it puts them under conviction. Everybody in this room has got one or two detractors, some antagonists, that will always point out how what you're thinking about doing is completely and totally impossible. And if you had your presence of mind, you wouldn't even be talking about doing it. <coughs> Do not listen to those fools. Are y'all still alive this morning? The Serenity Prayer came into being through an organization called Alcoholics Anonymous. And I know that it specifically speaks to when we wrestle with things that we have on the inside of us that we struggle to change. I know that it's speaking about personal issues, but I still believe the spirit of this thing can relate to how we respond in the changing times in which we live. Listen to it. If you know it, say it with me. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Everything doesn't need to change. God is unchanging. But that doesn't mean that your view of Him doesn't grow. It means it's going to change. And the amazing majesty and splendor and grandeur of an awesome God who's bigger than all of us can even combine and think about in His infinite wisdom and ability will blow our minds and it, it will stretch us so that we have to keep growing and thinking bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. You can't put God in a box. He won't stay in a box. He's bigger than the box that you try to put Him in. Life is in constant flux. The Lord is constantly faithful. My focus produces pain or peace. I was coming in to the service this morning, and um, I, I, I want to briefly say what I'm going to say, and I want to move on because I don't want to get emotional. But this is the week of the second anniversary of, of my losing Dawn. Friday will be the 19th, and it's just been kind of looming on the calendar in front of me. And I have uh, extended periods of strength and this morning, it just seemed to wash over me. I don't know why I wasn't thinking about it. I wasn't meditating on it. I was just thinking about the stuff we did with kids and coming to church and her on the front row. And for whatever reason, it just slammed me this morning. And so I would just ask you, <clears throat> I would ask you humbly if you would pray for me this week because this is a milestone. It's a milestone in my life and my, my babies, my, my, my daughter and my son and his wife. And... Uh, Thankful for the strength of God, for the grace of God to continue to face it. Somebody told me a while back it doesn't get easier. It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't change necessarily in your view, but you, it, it gets easier to deal with it. I really messed up how they said it. It was much more eloquent when they said, you know, it just becomes easier to deal with. And I think that's the, the right perspective. It's like it's come alongside and attached itself to me. And if I dwell on it, I can certainly become emotional. But most of the time, God strengthens me to be able to make it. And, you know, it wasn't just a few months ago that I was bellering up here every Sunday, and I'm thankful for your putting up with me. 
in that. And I, I just have to stop for a moment and say, in the middle of all this change that's happened in my life, that I'm thankful for the constant strength of God, for his mercies to, to love me and put up with me in my own questioning of my faith, because it shook me. In my own anger with God, because I shook my fist, going, you know, why? How many of you know what I'm talking about? Just wrestling some of this stuff down that, that, that attaches itself to us and having to weed my own garden and pull this stuff out and go, God, I choose joy. I, I believe you're good. I don't understand this. I believe you're a good God. I believe you're, you're powerful. I believe, I believe you love me. I believe you're a benevolent God. I believe you're a just God. I don't understand why this happened, but I think, thank you that you're going to give me strength to be able to put one foot in front of the other another day and another week and another month. In the middle of, I, 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 have a, I made a crossroad right now in this very second, in this moment. I can, I can continue and I can get emotional or I can stop and remind us that you all have a choice. And that is the choices that we make. And I choose joy. I choose joy intentionally to, to, because I believe we're in a, in a Kairos moment. I believe we're in a new season. I believe we're in a season that, that God is going to blow our minds. What I wanted didn't happen, but I believe that God is going to compensate with, 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 I believe that's a word from the Lord to, into my life. And because I'm the shepherd of this house, I believe it's into your life as well. Stuff that you might have gotten disappointed in because it didn't happen the way you wanted it to, God says, I will compensate. I will bring blessing. that will abs- I will open a window of heaven, heaven in a Kairos moment and pour it out on you that will blow your mind. And, and I said this in a two-day window when Abby was home and And by the way, Shaka got raptured. She's in New York now, so I'm praising God. I'm down to two dogs now. Uh, And I actually miss her, but I'm glad she's gone. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Um, And we were having a moment, and we were talking, and I said, Abby, Dawn's life ended. Mine didn't. I have to move toward life. Every step that I take has to be toward life. Every step you take, baby, every song you write, every note you sing, you have to move toward life because life is the gift of God. Some of this we won't understand until by and by. I don't know when that is, how it will be, whatever that is. God will, God will, will bring peace. God, God, God will bring blessing. He will bring understanding into our hearts. But right now I can't, I can't bog down in my walk with, with just all of this endless mystery stuff that I can't, haven't been able to answer in the last two years and may not in the next 50 if the Lord's grace is me to be able to live that much longer. I know that he's a good God and I'm moving toward life. And she started crying. She said, Dad, I'm with you. I'm, I'm moving toward life. So I want to say that to you this morning. Somebody in this room, change may have suddenly come in your life and it might not have been a positive one. It may have been tragedy. It may have been circumstances that, that brought a, an upheaval in your life. And remember that God is good and He will walk with you through this thing. He will minister to you. He will strengthen and encourage you. Last point and I'm finished is the solid rock and the shifting sand. Jesus gives the parable in Matthew 7, 24 through 29. You know it. I'm not going to take time to read all of it. But He just basically says, those of you who hear my words and put them into practice, follow them are like the wise man who builds his house on the rock. And the rains come down and the floods come up and the winds and all of the weather crashes against that house, but it stands firm because it's built on bedrock. It's built on solid. 
It's built on the truth of who God is, the unchangeableness of God's nature. He says, those of you who hear, and I noticed there were two kinds of people, the wise and the foolish. Both of them were hearing the words, but the other one was hearing and not doing anything with it, not applying it, not following it, not obeying those words. And he says, this person is like someone who builds his house on sand. The rains come, the floods rise, the torrents and the winds beat against the house, and it makes a mighty crash because it's built on something that is not solid. It's built on shifting sand. This is what happens when we cherry-pick Scripture because literally sand is a particle of rock. It is is rock that has been diminished into a tiny particle of something that used to be unified. But now it's a little bitty speck. And when I cherry-pick Scripture and try to live my life and my view of God based on my favorite six verses, which usually doesn't speak to me about anything about suffering or about enduring hardship or about not quitting when I want to quit, about not getting discouraged, about about not growing weary and doing good, but recognizing that at just the right time, God will cause me to reap a a great crop of amazing harvest if I won't give up. It's amazing the verses that we cherry pick and we try to build our lives on just tiny little portions of truth, little bitty specks, a sand of truth, instead of anchoring it into the immovable rock of the gospel into the immutability, the unchangeableness of our Heavenly Father. Last verse, Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. Say it this way. There's four verses that are context that I don't have time to read. He basically says, honor marriage, be hospitable. You're going to entertain angels that are unaware, you're unaware of. And he comes up here to verse 5. He says, don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. Guys, we cannot let the American consumerist mentality that my status and my identity is tied up in just continually buying and collecting stuff that I don't have any more room in my house to put any more stuff into. Stuff is good. There's nothing wrong with stuff. Get all the stuff you need, but recognize that when, when, you've, when you've got a garage you can't pull a car into and there's two storage rooms and a closet that the door's about to fall off the hinge because you've been trying to lean into it to be able to close it and every drawer is cram-packed full, you need, you need to find out what minimalism means and clean out and give away and learn to be content and invest in your relationships and instead of just trying to consume more stuff. Be satisfied with what you have. Oh my gosh, when the focus is always on what you don't have, you never can be happy. But be happy with what you got. Hallelujah. Look at this. Say it out loud. Read it with me. For God has said. I love it. Say it again. For God has said. There's a confidence in this when you have a word from the Lord. We sang it in the third song of the worship set this morning. We said, Spirit of the living God, we lean into you. We want to hear your voice. We need a word from you. When you know that you have a word from God, heaven and earth may pass away, but my word will not fail, he says. I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. This is the promise that God made. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. It sounds to me like the closing of the Great Commission passage in Matthew 28. He says, Make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, 
And he says, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I will never leave you nor forsake you. You need to recognize this. When God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, in that gospel passage, it literally has five negatives. I will never, 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 never leave you nor forsake you. I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. Say those words in bold one more time. For God has what? For God has said. Now look at this. This is what we do now. Read it with me. So we can say with confidence. Now, until you know what God has said, you can't say anything with confidence. But when you have the assurance of His Word that is unchanging, for God has said, now we can say with confidence. Read it with me, saints. Come on. The Lord is my helper, so I have no fear. What can mere people do to me? What am I saying to you this morning? Everything that you need in a season of transition, in upheaval, in tragedy, in disorder, in political unrest, in life-changing, life-altering, historical moments, like we've seen something like that in every decade, we must recognize that a word from God is the bottom line thing that we need. If I'm sick and I can see the word tells me I am your healer and I can say for God has said I am your healer now I can say with confidence the Lord will be my helper he's going to carry me through this season of confusion I need direction and I'm lost I can't find any signposts for God has said your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And because God has said, now I can say with confidence that he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thy rod and thy staff. They comfort me. You know what? When I keep following him, he's going to put something on the tail behind me. He says, surely goodness and mercy will chase you down and follow you all the days of your life. For God has said, so now we can say, with confidence you have too much month left over at the end of your money you're in lack God has said I will supply all of your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus for God has said now we can say with confidence God thank you that you meet my needs you supply my needs Thank you that you give seed to the sower and bread to the eater and you will multiply my seed some. God, my heart is in pain and the grief and the loss that I've faced in the last couple of years. He says, I will be with you and comfort you and I will not leave you as orphans, but I will send you a comforter. And for God has said, now I can say with confidence. You know what? When you get real about your circumstance and what you're facing and the battle that is in front of you and you can just open the word and say, God, use this moment to teach me and show me, reveal to me who you are because that's really what God wants to use the circumstance in your life for in the first place is to show you how much he loves you, how crazy about you he is and how he is willing to show up and move heaven and earth for you to be able to teach you that if you will just put your faith in him and look to him who is unchanging instead of every thing that is shifting sand all around you. That's what it's for in the first place. 
It's to bring you to a place of a deeper relationship with Him, to cry out to Him, to lean into Him, to put your trust in Him, to say, God, save me. I desperately need you more than I've ever needed you before. Whatever you need is, find out what God said about it. For God has said, now we can say with confidence. As they bring the lights down, I would ask you to bow your hearts with me, please, for a word of prayer.